Well, hey, um, yeah, welcome everybody. Just so happy uh, to be with you here today. Excited just for summer church, and it's exciting that um, whenever you know we have summer church, it's cool just to get to know people a little bit more um, and, and continue to grow in godliness um, together as a church. And so uh, this summer we're starting a new series. It's in um, the book of Genesis. We'll be in uh, chapters 1 through 11 this summer, and we're excited to dive into that. And uh, my secret desire is it'd be really cool if you know, we spent even the next few summers in the book of Genesis. It kind of breaks up perfectly where um, you can be 1 through 11 this summer, and then um, you could look at Abra- life of Abraham next summer, and then Jacob, but that's getting way too far ahead of ourselves. We're not going to do that, worry too much about that. Um, it's almost like a Netflix series, you know, where you watch the first season, and then you're like, do we want to renew it for the second season? So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. Maybe we'll take a break in between, um, and at the very least, let's focus on season one. We're in season one of the book of Genesis, and and so, um, yeah, we are going to be kicking off, again, our series, uh, looking at verses 1 through 11. Kind of the big idea of this series is this, that this series is about the beginning of God's pursuit and reconciliation of human beings. So if you're taking notes, that's really the big idea, that it's about God's pursuit and reconciliation of human beings. And we'll see uh, these themes uh, throughout the whole series on this book of Genesis of God's love, his justice, his redemption, his plans for us. And we hope as we dive into this passage, uh, we could engage in understanding the beginning of God's story and our story. Every story has a beginning. It's cool to be diving into this story together. Um, Now, before we do that, I think it's important to address a few things, and some people have had questions specifically about our church and specifically this building. Um, You might have noticed we've done a couple repairs and updates um, of this building, so I want to just kind of share with you just kind of some things that are happening, specifically our relationship with First Baptist Athens. And so um, I just want to first acknowledge that this is a very, very long, long story, (laughs) and and, uh, I, I, I hope that we can share with you the whole story at some point. So I'll just give you the more condensed version of it. Um, But the simple story is this, that this church, First Baptist Athens, has been such a faithful and great sister church to us over the past year. We are a brand new church. We're a baby church in a lot of ways. We started last August, and um, this church has really welcomed us in so lovingly. And, um, and specifically, Pastor Jim and his wife, Jean, who served faithfully here the last 15 years, uh, really have loved our family uh, personally so well. And so kind of where the story started as we were coming here to Athens, it was around the time Pastor Jim and his wife, Jean, were praying about a retirement. And they were praying about moving back to, see their, to move with their closer to their family in the Cleveland area. And um, the members of First Baptist Athens began to just spend some time praying and discussing, well, what's next? for us as, as Pastor Jim and his wife, Jean, were moving into retirement. And so um, they approached us and asked us about what it would look like to join us and join us in our mission to reach the campus and the community of Athens. Um, and we shared about our heart to reach college students. The reason we came to move to Athens was because we wanted to reach college students. It's essential to our mission. But we also shared that our desire is to have a healthy, multi-generational church that has a healthy, thriving community side of our church. And that encouraged them. And they, they wanted to hear more, and they began praying about moving forward in that process. And so uh, about a couple months ago, I think it was, uh, the members of First Baptist Athens voted to join our H2O family, which is really cool. We could give it up for that. Really awesome. 
And so part of that is um, through becoming a part of this family is um, we have received responsibility of this building. And so we're going through the final processes for that. We'll keep you in the loop on how all of that goes. But we're excited, and we're excited that this summer we'll be meeting here and doing all of our summer activities here. And it's just really an an example of God being faithful and God using um, this space. Uh, Christians have been meeting here in this space for 50, 60 years, I think, and it's, it's amazing to see uh, God's faithfulness and how he's really um, just used this place as a special place for his worship and his glory to this city. And so before we get into the passage, I think it would be really cool if we just prayed and we celebrated what God has done. So I'll pray for us. And so, Lord, thank you just for the opportunity here. Thank you for the opportunity to really uh, worship you in this space and see two churches coming together. And so, Lord, we just pray that uh, you would just be with us and continue to direct our paths as we begin to do work, painting, and all these other um, silly, mindless things, um, but that we, this place would become a welcoming place um, that's, that brings glory to you. People will come to know you as Lord and Savior of their lives in this place, and that disciples would be raised up, and that we would see this place be a blessing to the campus and the city in Athens, Lord. And so we just thank you for this chance to come together and to celebrate all the things you have done and you continue to do. And so we pray all this in your name. Amen. All right, if you guys uh, have your Bibles, you can flip open to Genesis 1. I think there's some Bibles uh, around you if you don't have one, or you can just follow along on the screen. We'll be in the first two verses of the whole Bible. It's really easy today. Just open up the cover, get to the next page, and we'll be right there in verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1. And so I'll just, I'll read it, and then we'll kind of dive in from there. And so two verses, Genesis 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So um, a couple weeks ago when I taught uh, at H2O, we, we were going through the book of Acts, and I had to cover about 40 verses. Um, and this week, we're only covering two verses. And I have to be honest, the magnitude of these two verses far outweigh the magnitude of the 40 verses uh, that I had to cover a few weeks ago. These verses are so vital to who we are and what we believe as Christians. They really are, serve as an introduction to um, the, not only just the book of Genesis and the Pentateuch and the Old Testament, but really the whole Bible. And I, I'm willing to bet most of you in this room have read these two verses at some point in your life. You probably picked up a Bible, and usually people start reading these two verses. And again, I think it's so appropriate to start in this place and really understand these two verses, because I think it lays out the truths that we'll experience and the themes we'll experience throughout the rest of this series. And what we can learn here can really help us in understanding the God who made us, who loves us, and our purpose on this earth. And so there's many things we can learn here. And if you're taking notes, the first thing we can see is this, that we have a beginning. So the first thing we can glean from these verses is that we have a beginning. In fact, the first few words of, of this section says, in the beginning. And this passage opens up with a clear understanding that we as human beings have a beginning. In fact, um, the Hebrew word here for beginning is the word reshit, which points to a first in a sequence. Reshit. I don't know if you'll ever use that word, but it's just a fun fact for you um, today, and you'll see why it's important later on. Um, but this, this passage starts with a specific place in mind. 
And, and, and to contrast this view with other views in the ancient world, um, the ancient Greeks, as an example, viewed time as circular in the sense that time repeated itself over and over again and that there was no specific, necessarily a specific starting place or ending point or no significance to it if there was one, but everything in history just continued to repeat itself. And so the Judeo-Christian belief is the understanding that time is linear, that there's a clear starting point, a clear beginning. And this is what the author of Genesis is really hitting on, that this is the beginning. And even in our secular society, there's a clear understanding of a starting point. You know, scholars and scientists talk about the Big Bang and talk about there's a clear starting point when our universe began. And now the, the important thing to know about this is this, about this clear starting point is this, that if we have a beginning, we have purpose. So if we have a beginning, there is purpose to your life. You are not just an accident. There, there is a purposeful design to your life. There's a reason why you are here. And knowing your beginning will help you better understand who you are. Now, one pushback people might have um, when when encountering the book of Genesis and when talking about this origin story is some will wonder, uh, well, how do we know this is truly our beginning? How do we know this is the true origin story of humanity? And, you know, there's a bunch of creation myths in the world. How can we know this is the right one? Now, I want to start by acknowledging that um, I only have, you know, so much time with you this morning. There's a lot, you know, there's been many volumes of books that have been written on this topic, which I would encourage you to check out. And so um, give me some grace there. Um, But I I do want to step into some of these conversations because I think it is important to know. And I think these are questions that many of us are thinking about. Um, and, And for me, I trust this is our origin story because I trust the source. I trust the source, and so I take the Bible at its word. And I've been walking with Jesus for a long time. God has changed me. And I've been challenged by other difficult passages and found reasonable explanations for the faith that I have. I trust in Jesus, who affirms this as the origin story as well. And I've been drinking from the well of following Jesus for a long time, and that water from that well has been nourishing. It's been good. And, and so if that's true, it's, it's easy to, to say, yes, I trust the source. And the thing is this, too, it, it, we all do that as well. Whenever it comes to anything we hear in our c- culture, in our society, we always go, well, what's the source? I'm going to check the source, and if you trust the source, you trust the story. And let's face the reality, it's difficult to fully 100% trust any origin story. You cannot research on your own uh, with 100% certainty anything that happened over 5,000 years ago. We didn't even have a writing system over 5,000 years ago that we can find. It's very difficult. It's not like studying World War II where you can pop in a video or you can um, you know, talk to people that actually were there. This is so distant from where we are today. And so the question is, what source is right? Which source do you trust? And you could either say, hey, you know, all paths can't be right. They're maybe all wrong. Or maybe there's mixes of of truth in in them, which you would have to know something higher. Or maybe one path is correct. And as Christians, we believe that this is the correct origin story. This story is the only story that makes sense in trying to understand our world, the brokenness of our world, and the longing of the human heart. 
You know, when thinking about this, uh, I was reminded of this story of uh, the author C.S. Lewis. In um, uh, C.S. Lewis, who wrote the Chronicles of Narnia series, a fun fact about him, he was really good friends with the guy that wrote the Lord of the Rings series, J.R.R. Tolkien. Um, and uh, Lewis, at this time in their friendship, he was an atheist. He didn't um, believe in God at all, and Tolkien was a Christian. And uh, they would have many different conversations about faith and spirituality. And uh, Lewis was an expert on mythology. He studied mythology. He was a scholar. And so he asked Tolkien, well, why do you trust the Bible? He asked him this question. Why, you know, I studied all these other myths, and, and why does the Bible stand out above the rest? And Tolkien said this to Lewis. He said, Christianity is the true story that makes sense of all the other stories. It is the archetype. It is the true story where all other stories point. And the story of the Bible is the story, ultimately, that all other stories point to. It is something that as you read it, you see this is the only thing that explains what is happening in the human heart. And the only thing that makes sense to, again, describe the brokenness that we experience. And and, and the only thing that can make sense of our world and and how how we live. All other stories point to this story. And so, you know, for us as a church, we want to give you space to investigate this. We want to give you space to, to, to really ask God and say, God, can, can you show me if this is the true story of my origin, of, of when I was created as, as a human being? And we believe if you ask God these questions and you open yourself up to him, he will show you that this is your story. This is your origin. And this was how, how the God who made us created us and designed us to be. And so that's the first point, is, is we understand that we have a beginning. The second point is this, that God is creator of all. So we see in this passage that God is creator of all. And the next few words in um, verse 1 say that God created the heavens and the earth. So this is an account of, of, of God creating the universe and, and the Bible talks about how God spoke the earth into existence, out of nothing. The Latin word is ex nihilo. If you want to sound smart, that's a great word to use, ex nihilo. Um, out of nothing, God created the universe. Now, one important thing to know about this is that this isn't the beginning of God. That God, we believe as Christians, God is eternal. He exists outside of time. He has no beginning. And so because of that, because God is our creator, he is also over us. Creation is subject to him. He is the hero of the story. He is the main character, and we are the ones who are being rescued because we are his fallen creation. He is rescuing us. He is the creator and sustainer of life. And so what we can glean from this is that if God is our creator, we are valuable. You are valuable before God. We, you know, Scripture says that human beings are created in the image of God. You are made with his thumbprint. So you have purpose and you have value from your creator. We believe as Christians that all human beings have value and are created in the image of God. And all human beings from conception to the grave have value. Now, when we hear this and when we talk about this idea of, of God making you and creating you, what begins to come up again in these questions about the book of Genesis is, is, well, how did God do it? How did God create 
the universe. And ultimately what you fall into is this endless rabbit hole of a creation versus evolution debate, which I'm not going to do that to you today. I know you want to spend time with your mom later on. You don't want to be here for another four hours. I think Caleb's going to do that next week, maybe, or I don't know, probably not, but we'll see. Uh, so, um, but I, 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 w- I would love to just dive in a little bit with you and understanding th- these questions, because oftentimes people will ask, well, did God really create the world in six days? And is the earth, you know, 6,000 years? Is science in conflict with the Bible? And again, you could go on and on in breaking down all these points. And so I really do want to just simplify this conversation and just give you some pointers um, to understand uh, the book of Genesis as we're engaging in it. And so the first thing is this. The Bible is not a science book. It's a story of redemption. The details on how God did every element of the story aren't necessarily listed in the chain of events. The Bible, especially in its creation account, is not necessarily concerned with those details. Um, As I was thinking about an example of how to kind of understand this, if I asked you, what did you do for dinner the other night? You might say, well, um, you know, I made this, this dessert, or I, you know, made spaghetti, and I had some friends come over, and we played a game, and it was, it was really fun, and we did this and that. You wouldn't say, Oh, well, at 5 o'clock, I turned on my oven at 350 degrees, and I um, took out the eggs, and I put them on the counter. You wouldn't do that, right? Because <laughs> that'd be too much detail, and I'd be like, all right, I'm leaving this conversation right now. Uh, but uh, the Bible is concerned with the bigger picture on what happened and the events that happened. And yes, it does describe details. Um, but what it's more concerned about is giving the story of redemption. Okay, so it's not, it's not a science textbook. So that's, that's the first thing to know. Second, it's important to know that if God is a God who speaks matter into existence, if he speaks worlds into existence, um, then he could have made the world in however he wanted, however long he wanted, in whatever way he wanted. If he is God, he's able to do that. He could structure the world in exactly the way he wanted to. Finally, we believe that you're not just a clump of cells that through a chain reaction of a lightning striking a pool, a cesspool, millions of years ago, randomly, by chance, in a chain of reaction of natural selection, turned into you in this moment. Now, it's not to say there, aren't, there isn't an evolutionary process in things in our world. I'm not saying that. But, but you have more value than that. Again, you aren't here by accident. God has a purpose for your life. You have value. And if you look at our world, just just objectively looking at our world, there is so much complexity and it screams of a designer. If our planet was a couple degrees closer to the sun or further from the sun, we could not be here. There is so much that had to happen in a chain of events that just by random chance led to where we are today. And the burden of proof is on the seculars to prove that this randomly just happened. You are not a coincidence. You have value. All human beings have value. The fact that you have a conscience, you can't really scientifically explain that. There's something written on the human heart that, that, that shows the creator and the fingerprint of the God who made you. You are valued and you have great purpose. And so we need to understand that, that, that as, as we pursue the God who made us, we, again, we find fulfillment and value and understanding of who we are, that there is actually a God-shaped hole in each of our hearts. 
And, and by pursuing him and allowing him to fill our lives, we find purpose and value. But the thing is, human beings don't want that. We want to pursue our own interests, which leads to our third point, uh, which is this, that outside of God, there is chaos. Outside of God, there is chaos. And so this passage talks about how um, God spoke the world into existence. And the, this passage said that the world was formless and without shape, and darkness was over the face of the deep. It's kind of similar to a, a potter who takes a lump of clay and it's just messy. And this darkness over the face of the deep kind of it makes, it makes it communicate there's some sort of chaos, nothing sinister here. But, but God is beginning to mold the world and to, to make it good. And one thing that's not necessarily explicit in this passage, but what I think a theme that we can see throughout our series in the book of Genesis is that outside of God, there is chaos, there is destruction. That when God made the world, that he made it good. And we'll see in the coming weeks the consequences of people moving away from God's original designs and away from God's commands. And this leads to sin. And sin simply means missing the mark, missing the mark of God's design. And this sin leads to brokenness. And if you look at the brokenness in your life, it is due to the reality of sin. You know, it's, it's funny being a parent. Um, it's been interesting seeing uh, my daughter grow and, and seeing um, you know, her begin to speak more and say new things. But one new habit she's developed is intentionally not listening to us as her parents. And so we'll tell Abigail, you know, we'll say, hey, don't climb on those steps. Hey, don't eat that rock. Hey, maybe don't eat that bug. That may not be good for you. And we'll tell her these things. And what she'll start, she's starting to do is she'll just not listen to us and do the thing that we told her not to do. In fact, she'll become so fixated on the thing, the little stinker, she'll become so fixated on the thing we told her not to do, and she'll just want to keep doing that. And obviously, there's an element of as she's developing, she's testing boundaries and all that. But I think what it's showing us is the reality of her sin. She, she has sin in her life when she, does, when she disobeys mom and dad. And you know what? We do the same thing. We're just more complex at it, right? There are commands that God, as our Father, has given us to follow that he knows are for our betterment. And he knows if we choose the selfish ways of our lives, it'll lead to more and more brokenness because he loves us. But yet we as human beings continue to turn against him, to continue to follow our own ways, to continue to repeat the sins of our parents. Do you ever wonder why you struggle with the same things your parents struggled with? It's because of sin and brokenness. And so we have to be a people that are aware of this and aware of the sin and brokenness in our lives and ask God to forgive us and turn to him and say, Lord, help me. I want to continue to return to your original design. I have never met a person who's not broken. I've never met a person who doesn't have some brokenness in their life. And God wants to heal you and bring restoration and mold you to, to restore the good creation that he made. Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burden, I will give you rest. Jesus wants to give you rest. He wants to restore the brokenness. The world is chaotic, but but returning to God's original design gives us freedom. And and, and God does this because he cares about us. And this leads to our next point is this, that God is active in his creation. And the next verse says, And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. That in this chaos, God shows up. That he is active. 
And there is Trinitarian language here, um, and that would have been a mystery to the original audience, but the, the word here for hover is similar to a bird flying over something, and uh, we believe that this is the Holy Spirit showing up in this passage. And we believe the triune God was active in creation. And we as Christians believe in the Trinity, that God eternally exists as Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that each member of the Trinity is fully God and there is one God. And this is a mystery, but this is what we see as we encounter Scripture. This is the only takeaway that we can have, that God is a triune God. And what's amazing about this passage is that God is actively present throughout creation, and we'll see that, that the triune God is present throughout the rest of our series in the book of Genesis. That God is active in sustaining the, the, the creation he made. He didn't just make everything like the DSA and, and, and leave, but he is active and he wants a relationship with you. He cares about you. He cares about the, um, the, the small details of your life. You know, some people will say, you know, well, I don't want to pray for that. That's such a small thing. I want God to focus on, you know, maybe bigger prayers other people might have. No, God is eternal. He cares about every concern and fear you have. He is active in your life. He is not an absent father. He, he's a good God that loves you, and he wants a relationship with you. And we'll see in this series how God is active in the lives of the men and women. In the passages we'll read that he cares about his creation, and he's leading it forward and ultimately bringing about his, his restoration. Because ultimately, God is planning for a greater future. And this leads to our final point today, that in the beginning, we see the end. In the beginning, we see the end. So like I shared um, from my first point that we have a beginning, um, the, the Hebrew idea points to not a circular view of history, but a linear, that there's a starting point and it's leading somewhere. And in Genesis 1, that word reshit that I, I mentioned earlier, um, it, it's used throughout the Pentateuch, uh, and, and there's another word that's used as the opposite of the word reshit, and it's the word aharet. Did I say that right, Caleb? Aharet? Right? Okay, thanks. Thumbs up. Uh, aharet uh, is the word for end. It is the word for the last days. That's how it's most commonly used in Genesis, in the Pentateuch, and throughout the Old Testament. And what's important about this is this, that the first readers, when they saw the word reshit, would have been thinking in their minds about the end. In fact, an Old Testament scholar said this. He said, already in Genesis 1-1, the concept of the last days fills the mind of the reader. And so thinking about the original audience that would have read this, they would have been Jewish people who would have been learning about the God who made them, and they would have saw the beginning, and they would have said, oh, well, clearly there's got to be an ending point to this story too. There's got to be something that this story is leading us to. And any time the word aharet is used in the Old Testament, the, the, the phrase the last days, what follows is this. It talks about this coming king who will rule with strength, he will come from the line of Judah. There will be blessing. Judgment will come. He will make rules. Nations will obey him. Blessings will come. He will be, come from the tribe of Judah. He will rule the nations. Does this sound familiar to you? Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. This passage points to him. In, in, in creation, in our beginning, when we open the Bible, we have Jesus showing himself to us. 
In fact, the New Testament talks about how Jesus was active in creation. John 1.1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And in verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Colossians 1.15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether in thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in, th- in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to the reconcile of himself all things, whether in earth or heaven, making peace by the blood of the cross. That in this story, in our beginning, we see clearly Jesus showing up, and we see that we have a future. In the end of the Bible, last few pages of your Bible in the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I am the Alpha and the Omega. He says, I'm the first and the last, the Reshit and the Aharit, that Jesus is the beginning and the end. And again, this is important to know that, that we have a future. In that passage in Revelation, Revelation 21, it says that he, God, will wipe away every tear from our eyes, that death shall be no more. Neither shall be there, there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And the passage talks about how we will see God's pay, face, and we will be in relationship with him and all who follow God forever and ever. This is the story that we are a part of. And we're in the middle of the story. And we've seen the bigger picture. We've seen more than the original audience has seen. But this is, this is God's story that we're a part of, and this is our beginning. And we hope throughout this series you would turn to Jesus, that you would see the, 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 in the pages of Scripture Jesus' hand and Jesus' work of re- redeeming you and saving you, that Christ is showing himself to you, that we have a beginning and, and we have an end. But that end keeps going on forever and ever. And so in the meantime, let's follow him. Let's celebrate him. Let's celebrate what God has done because he is the hero of this story. And so as we close today, um, let's remember what Jesus has done for us. Let's remember the cross. And let's remember that we're a part of a great story of God redeeming and restoring humanity. And so with that, I'll pray. Lord, we thank you for the chance to come together and worship you. And Lord, we just pray that um, you would just be with us in the series in the book of Genesis, that we would be, keep our eyes focused on you, Jesus. We're excited, Lord, just to engage in, in these passages and, and learn more about you and be challenged by some of these things. Um, but Lord, help us to, to grow in our love of you throughout it. And so, God, we pray you would just meet us here. And we just ask for your, your hand over our lives, that we would turn to you and stop following our own ways, uh, but, but seek after your original design. So we pray all this in your name. Amen.